You're listening to 89.1 FM, WNYU, New York. Thank you for tuning in to The Rundown here on WNYU, 89.1 FM, New York, and online everywhere at WNYU.org. I'm your host, Grace Wanabo. Tonight, we will hear rule changes in Washington Square Park regarding live performances, a recap of GovBall, New York City hurricane flooding, flooding, and a live interview with YDSA's upcoming tuition strike. With new bands being added to Washington Square Park, musicians must adapt to a hefty fines for using sound equipment to play music. This could mean a dynamic shift in the park's atmosphere as some bands will choose to move to avoid fines. So we ask local park residents what they, what they thought of this potential change in the park atmosphere. Trevor Johnson has the story. I'm Trevor Johnson, and you're listening to WNYU 89.1 FM. The crash of a cymbal, the banging of drums, the strumming of a chord, and the voices of people in song. These are staple sounds of Washington Square Park and are synonymous with young, free, and rowdy atmosphere that comes with the territory. From local performance artists who play music to accompany their pieces to musicians playing on half-broken instruments for a crowd of one. These sounds are constant in Washington Square, and they are what make the park is what it is. Electric. But the question remains, how important is this atmosphere to the people who inhabit the park? And with the implementation of new rules, will this stay, or will it have to evolve? The beginning of this year, a push by local Washington Square residents to keep the peace and quiet of the area was passed, and stricter rules were added to the park. These rules included no alcohol, no skateboarding, no smoking, no bathing in the fountain, no one past 12 a.m., and no amplified speaker devices without specific NYPD permission. So what does this mean for the future of the park? Will it have to change to fit the new rules, or will the rowdy nature of the park win over? But most importantly, do people want the park bands to continue to play? Or is their presence more of a nuisance than a welcome event? So I went to Washington Square and asked around. My question was simple. How important is the impact of the bands on the atmosphere? And how will the new rules affect the future of the park? I asked three people in the park what they thought. Megan C., an NYU student dorming in the area. Joseph. A local was born and raised in NYC, and Megan R., a first-year student who regularly visits the park multiple times a day. This is what they said. Yeah, I think um, they draw a lot of attention to the park. Like, people actually go to the park sometimes just to listen to them, and that's like, it builds communities, and it's like, people, like, form crowds and stuff to and listen also, to. But I don't think the 12 a.m. park rules, it's, it's like, 
it's going to impact it that much because residents living around the park don't really want to hear people hollering and like drunk at all. So that's not going to affect that that much. However, some disagree and feel that the new park rules have negatively impacted the atmosphere of the park. Joseph, a native New Yorker, felt that the bands are what set the soundtrack to the park and the people who go there. Because the park is so crazy, the music is always there as kind of a backing track. And sometimes it's very interesting because the music will be like smooth jazz or it'll be something very slow and then there will be like, you know, some crazy stuff going on just next to it. So sometimes it's like very uh, dissonant, the music and what's happening around it. But that adds to it. I mean, I always talk to them and they're always like, oh yeah, the cops are going to come shut us down. Not even at, after midnight, just like, you know, whatever, in, in the middle of the day. Like, I've seen it too. Like, they, they just come get shut down, even though they're just playing. Uh, and as for the curfew, like, I used to see the park as a place to hang out, but now it just closes at 12 o'clock. So, I don't know, it's very unfortunate. Like, the park isn't as much of a, as a, like a congregation spot anymore. Others I interviewed tend to side more with Joseph, as he felt it was an important aspect of the park to have the music, and that the rules put in place weren't necessarily what the park needed. I think it's definitely just going to be stricter, and it's going to take away from like the personality the park already has. While opinions vary, no one knows what will happen to the park, and only time will tell how will it change, whether for better or worse. For WNYU's The Rundown, I'm Trevor Johnson. Governor's Ball Music Festival happened this weekend. We sent reporter Sanaida Ong to talk to some of the performers and audience members. Here's the story. This past weekend, I attended Governor's Ball, which took place at City Field in Queens, New York. I had an incredible time, and the headliners included ASAP Rocky, Billie Eilish, and Post Malone, as well as many, many, many other incredible performances. I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with some of the performers, including NYU Clive Davis Institute alumni's very own Livia O, oh, who performed at GovBall on Saturday, as well as Nation of Language, a Brooklyn-based up-and-coming indie pop band on topics ranging from their new releases to their favorite music festival eats. Let's take a listen. This is Shaneda from WNYU 89.1 FM, and today I'm here with Livia O. Hi! Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hey guys, uh, I'm Livia O. I'm an artist from New Zealand. I am a singer-songwriter, producer, and an engineer. Uh, and I make, like, electronic pop. And you're an NYU alum. Yeah. We love that. Ripping. <laughs> so, what has been your favorite performance this past weekend? I have to shout out Drew Lucas, who I shared my set with. Um, he was so incredible. I was so unbelievably proud to see him out there, absolutely killing it. The band was amazing. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing 
ASAP Rocky. I think that's going to be absolutely killer, and Muna was really fantastic too. So tell us a bit about your uh, last release. So my last release was this track called Lost All Hope, which I actually hand-wrote the lyrics on a piece of paper at work. I was like, it was really quiet, and I had some downtime, so I just decided to turn my phone off and just write down lyrics, and it ended up happening in one sitting. I wrote the whole song and then went into the studio, fleshed it out, and then just fell in love with this track. I think it's one of my favorite things I've ever made. That's amazing. So what is your go-to festival eat? I have to keep it simple and go with fries. I feel like whenever it's been a long day and I've been out in the sunshine and it's starting to get dark and things are wrapping up, fries. It's all I want. Just specific type of fries or just oh my if they have sweet potato fries like it's a game over um otherwise i'm not that picky like i'll take a curly i'll take a french like i'm so done with anything i am here with nation of language you introduce yourself to our listeners Uh, i'm ian i'm mike i'm aiden and what do you guys do uh i sing oh yeah I, i play the bass i'm the synthesist Oh, I like that. So what has been your favorite performance this past weekend? Uh, We saw Future Islands yesterday. That was really great. And then we got to see Billie Eilish, which was like such like a huge spectacle. It was like a really wild thing to behold. Tell us about your latest release. What inspired it? And what was your favorite part about recording it? Um, Well, I guess we're, we're in the process of releasing our second album. Our first album came out like right at the beginning of the pandemic uh and so during the pandemic we just like went back and recorded another album and so we've been releasing singles out from that and it comes out november 5th Uh, but it's been really exciting like the prospect of getting to play shows again like being on the horizon and now being here uh it's like a very special exciting time it was like crazy to release an album at the beginning of the pandemic and not get to play any of those songs so now we're back out playing shows and we get to play some of those songs um, and we're playing these new songs from our second album now and it's just really magical to be able to see people singing dancing along that you know we're we've never met a lot of our fans because we made them over the pandemic um, so it's been a really exciting time for us that's incredible so what is your go-to music festival eat so far, we've had a lot of burgers. Yesterday, yesterday I had an Impossible Burger, and today I had a regular burger. Um, you can throw a hot dog in there also. I had a hot dog. Yeah. Basically, like, carnival food, like fries and burgers. Might want to get some pizza, see what they have around here at some point. I was trying to look for iced coffee earlier. Could not find any. And an update on that, I could not find any iced coffee at GovBall this past weekend, but I did see a lot of attendees. In fact, there were over 150,000 people who came to GovBall this past weekend, so I decided to ask them who their favorite performers were. I gotta say, Megan? I mean, she just doesn't, she doesn't fail. She yes. never fails. She's amazing. Yes. I love her endlessly. Oh my God. I don't know, but I'm really excited for Dominique Fike. Yes. I'm so fucking excited. Dominique Fike. ASAP Rocky was really fun. Everyone was moshing for ASAP Rocky. Was really good. Yeah. That was And exciting. Billy. Billy was crazy. Yes. I don't know. I'm looking forward to the Post Malone one for sure. Like, I don't know. Like, the other guys, like 21 Savage, Young Thug. I liked uh, ASAP Rocky yesterday. ASAP Rocky yesterday was pretty good, yeah. What's your favorite performance this past weekend? ASAP. 
ASAP. I liked Billy. <laughs> I haven't. This is my first day, but I'm so excited to see Ellie Golding. Okay, yes, yes, I'm really excited. I really enjoyed seeing Jay Balvin yesterday. He was he was fire, and then Billie Eilish on Friday was yeah. good too. She was really good. Billy was my Billy was definitely my favorite as well. We were I was actually all the way in the front. So it was perfect. It was amazing. It was amazing. The people were going crazy. She was amazing. She sang in my camera. She saw me. She started singing to me. Wow. It was great. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. For The Rundown, this has been Shneida Ng. Broadway has finally returned after 18 months of shutdown, which has excited the drama community on campus. Selena Joy and Miranda Wang interviewed current and former Tisch students to hear about their experiences of the return to in-person performances. After a year and a half of shutdown, Broadway is slowly making its comeback. Long-standing classics like Hamilton and Wicked are resuming their performances in theaters. New productions like La Cawana Blues are also making their appearance. Broadway's return not only thrills the audiences, but it also opens up opportunities for upcoming artists, especially theater students at NYU. The pandemic certainly gave a strong hit to theater students who are eager to be on stage. In an interview with Sarah, who just rewatched the musical Chicago, she talks about the differences in production pre and post COVID. I would say though, it did feel a bit rushed um, because I think they cut off a lot of dialogue that, like, just talking dialogue that happened. I have seen in a play five years ago, and I think it's probably because of COVID they didn't have, you know, rehearsal time. So it's kind of like song after song, and there are not a lot of character building. So I feel like it would be totally difficult for people who are watching Chicago for the first time. Some people might wonder, and of course, how drama students, how drama students who are entering the job market, feel about the impact of COVID and Broadway's return. WNYU had an interview with Trevor Wong, NYU Tisch drama graduate, class of 2020. Trevor currently works for a theater program called Shakespeare in the Park. I work as a usher and sometimes as an, an ambassador, which is people who check patrons proof of vaccination as they make their way into the theater. And it's, it's really nice working there. Our co-worker and our boss are really thoughtful and cooperative. Most patrons are cooperative, but occasionally there will be a few that's like a little Karen-ish, but there's nothing we couldn't handle. I would say that from people's faces, from people I've interacted with, what's touching is people are so excited to be back in the theater, to sit and actually watch a play, a musical, to share the experience with the people around them, which is really touching to see. It's most nights we are full wow. in the Shakespeare the Theater. For COVID concerns, we did have sections that are blocked off for social distance, but we also have full capacity sections. Trevor said he had imagined working a lot of side jobs out of college, and he is practical in that sense, while he has also found jobs that can sustain him and then collaboratively create something he enjoys. This ends us on a positive note that despite the inconvenience brought to the theater industry by COVID, many from the Tisch community are able to navigate themselves through the roadblocks and continue to pursue their passion in various ways. New York officials announced plans to hire a private weather forecaster, install more 
drainage features, increased warnings to civilians, and response to the recent onslaught of heavy rainfall. Meanwhile, Adelaide Miller and Aria Young report on how the rainfall has impacted NYU students' housing. Hurricane Ida swept through New York City on September 1st, damaging a large number of homes and leaving many communities displaced. The rainfall was historically unprecedented and created flooding that the city's infrastructure is evidently unable to handle. Unfortunately, this is just one occurrence of many disastrous events that have been globally increasing in frequency due to climate change. These events can affect everyone, including NYU students. Valerie Bosto Morales is one of them. She experienced flooding in her apartment that forced her to evacuate. And we're watching TV. We just finished eating dinner. And Matt, like, looks down at the ground and he, like, yells. And I was like, what? What's wrong? And I thought it was, like, a whole bunch of roaches. And I looked down. It's actually just a whole bunch of water just, like, flooding in. And so I'm just, like, putting the towels on the floor and then, like, squeezing it into this big bowl and, like, dumping it into the tub. But then I noticed the tub... It got flooded as well, but like I guess like the water just came up from it and then there was lots of dirt in the tub. But that was like the least of our concerns at that moment. Uh, We were like getting everything under the bed on top of the bed so nothing gets wet. And at some point we noticed like we I thought it was just going to be like a little bit and then we can handle it. But then it it was just like the entire floor, like an inch, an inch and a half was flooded with water. Thankfully, nothing major happened except for like our floor started like popping up. A contractor said that the walls are probably going to get moldy. Oh yeah, on the floor. I guess like the glue was coming off. So it's like coming off from like several walls, even walls that like the water didn't really touch. When we noticed we couldn't like stay there, we told the super that we were leaving and to please mop the floor. And we had like uh, towels against the wall cracks so the water wouldn't come in when we were gone and we stayed with our friend. Um, But we had to like walk in the rain and then take a bus and the bus was completely crowded and then walk to our friend's house. Serena beard Gladi, an undergraduate student in Steinhardt, was also affected by the flooding in Harlem. The basement of my house was severely um, damaged. I was, it was probably two feet deep. I was stepping into water. And this was also a very unsafe situation for me for someone who was also trying to pump out water through my my, uh, first floor into, out into the street. Um, so it was a whole process already. Also, I actually had to stop pumping out water because there was a risk of getting electrocuted. And a lot of my walls were affected. Paint was peeling off of the walls. Water was flooding through the windows, even if they were properly sealed. And our basement door, there was water flooding through the basement door. Um, and we tried to put down tons of towels, but that didn't even work. Um, it really was flowing in like like a stream, and um, I'd never seen seen it before like that. Students living in on-campus housing also experienced flooding in dorms, including Brittany Hall, Gramercy Green, and Rubin Hall. As a response to Hurricane Ida, the Federal Emergency Management Agency offers storm recovery relief to individuals affected. Governor Kathy Hochul and Mayor Bill de Blasio announced on Monday that the state government will provide $27 million in aid for undocumented survivors of the floods. 
Although the storm caught the NYU community off guard, students and administration will have to prepare for more weather disasters in the future. For the rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Aria Young. And I'm Adelaide Miller. The YDSA tuition strike is going to be happening this spring. We have Luna Khalidi to talk to Karishma Chari and Gabriel Abelez about it. For the rundown, I'm Muna Khalidi, and I'm here with two NYU YDSA tuition strike coordinators who are here to talk about the upcoming tuition strike. Uh, to start off, tell me about the recent events that have inspired this call to strike on NYU. Yeah, so um, I think last semester, most notably, Columbia YDSA ran their own tuition strike at school, and they were super successful. They had over 4,000 students striking, and they also um, got a divestment from fossil fuel companies and a five-year tuition freeze, um, which was super important uh, for us. And I also think that GSOC's strike last year, our graduate student union, was really important in helping us understand the power collective action can bring within our own campus. And I think on top of that, it's really important to understand that if there were ever a time to demand more from our university, it would be right now during this pandemic, a time where we've really seen how NYU does or perhaps doesn't really value its students. They've actually raised tuition $3,400 throughout the pandemic. Um, And you just really want to ask yourself, have the services gotten any better? Was being online any better than before? Um, Were the services that were taken away, was it worth that tuition increase? And I think right now, given what Karishma outlined, is now the time to kind of demand more finally. Right. So you mentioned the success of GSOC's strike, which took place last spring to demand a living wage and equitable working conditions. How do these demands and the demands of YDSA's upcoming strike overlap? Um, yeah, so I, a lot, GSOC was fighting really hard for undergrads. They basically made NYU a sanctuary campus in all but name. They were able to get cops off campus considered as a health and safety demand. And those are things that we're also putting pressure on NYU to consider. Um, But yeah, also, I think the strike was super important in understanding how uh, we as students um, don't owe NYU anything. They are indebted to us. Um, They would not be anywhere without its students and workers. And I think GSAC outlined that for us perfectly and how collective action can really drive that message home. And we really like to emphasize also that their teaching conditions were our learning conditions. We want demands for their teaching conditions, and I think it's time for us to get some better improvement in terms of what we're actually paying for, what we're getting in return, and the tuition strike is the way we do that. Right. So can you give a brief overview of your demands to NYU and what this tuition strike will entail? So when Columbia did their tuition strike, they actually won two major demands, two of which were including an hours. The first is a tuition strike or a tuition freeze. Um, NYU likes to raise tuition yearly. They raise it all the time. And we want at least a five-year freeze in that. We also want them to put that money into financial aid increases. Um, We would like them to actually lower tuition in the first place. Um, But on top of that, some more specific ones, including um, cutting ties with the NYPD. And that's in line with our demands of protecting immigrant and students of color on campus. We also want them to, um, to recognize that it's that 
they should not be expanding into the neighborhoods right now, displacing more people, especially people of color. And we would also want them to pay property taxes on the buildings that they own. They actually get around paying that using a loophole, which says that if there's one classroom, let's say in a residence hall, a dorm here on campus, they don't have to pay any property taxes. And with them being one of the wealthiest and biggest landlords in the city, it's time for them to pay their fair share. Yeah, we also have one more really key demand, um, which is to endorse BDS, Boycott, Divest, Sanctions. I think that's a really important demand, mainly because the original success of BDS was through student movements putting pressure on their own universities. So I think that's very key for us as well. Right. So this following statement, NYU is being run like a corporation. What does this statement mean to you guys? I think when you look at sort of the skeleton of NYU and who is on their board of trustees, everyone is representing some sort of corporate interest, whether that's working for BlackRock or, you know, acting in the name of big oil and big real estate. NYU views no moral, views themselves as having no moral obligation to its students, which is extremely frustrating because like Gabe was saying, they increase tuition every year. And even though NYU may allege that they don't get uh, a significant port of their portion of their revenue from students, fundamentally, they are a university. And so they have a responsibility to us students. But right now, all they care about is buying up property or lobbying for against, you know, the Green New Deal. So... And the way that corporations are run, we have workers that produce the value and those, the shareholders, the CEOs, they take all the wealth. They take away all the profits. And the same way with NYU, right? We have um, a president, we have an administration that kind of gets to brag about the achievements of its students, of its faculty, of its teachers. And if we're the ones doing the research, we're the ones teaching, um, I think it's time for us to get our fair share and to know that all this tuition really goes to fund um, these um, I don't know, these 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 lavish um, remodels and some of our faculty and um, some of our administration's um, homes. It's kind of ludicrous to know when there's plenty of students that are food insecure on campus. So uh, now considering all these demands that you have to NYU, how has the university reacted since announcing the strike? Yeah, I mean, I think initially, so we had a press release through Washington Square News published by one of our prior OC members, um, John Beckman, chose to comment. And he um, got at this fact that fundamentally NYU's um, endowment to student ratio is much lower than many other universities. And again, he also said that NYU actually doesn't even get most of their revenue from tuition. And also he said that all of our claims were basically false and that NYU cares a great deal about their students. Um, to us, this was obviously very frustrating because regardless of how big the um, endowment to student ratio is, is kind of a moot point because we have a $5 billion endowment that is 
extreme, an exceedingly large amount of money. So for them to say that, oh, the reason why we don't spend as much money to providing simple things like, you know, quality therapists is because our student to ratio, uh, our student to endowment ratio is uh, kind of small. Um, it's very frustrating, and I think it's very um, reminiscent of. Them just choosing to try and find language to um, like put us in our place. So you initially planned this strike in the fall, and now we've delayed it till the spring. Uh, has anything changed since then? Um, no, there hasn't been any fundamental changes. I think one key thing was that one of the reasons why we delayed our strike was because we were um, all experiencing a lot of burnout at YDSA after the GSOC strike because we launched a whole solidarity campaign for that. But also, um, one thing that GSOC had to drop in order to win their contract was tuition waivers for master's students. And for us, we sort of view that, viewed that it would be more strategic for us to delay the strike by one semester so we could really tap into that, um, that base of master's students that were frustrated that they didn't get those tuition waivers, even though their union won so many other demands. And also, I think we chose to delay the strike because NYU randomly moved up their tuition due date, which was very frustrating for us on an organizing perspective because we had, you know, a whole plan which would have taken over, um, taken like the span of a month. But basically all of that was kind of out the window once they moved up their tuition date. Um, so now knowing that and also tapping into that base of incoming freshmen and frustrated master students, I think generally uh, our choice to delay our strike to get students to withhold tuition for the spring semester is just generally more strategic for us. It's also a democratic decision we made amongst our members. And by doing so, as Karishma kind of alluded to, we've been able to actually table in person um, throughout the week. And we've actually been able to increase our numbers, those interested and also those coming to our chapter meetings every week as well. So I know the idea of maybe striking on a university might sound a little daunting to a few people. Are there any risks to this tuition strike? And what would you say to those who may be a little hesitant to join? Well, the first thing I would like to emphasize is the fact that we will only be striking if we get a certain amount of students committed to doing so. Um, as history kind of shows us, we do have strength in numbers, and we don't want to jeopardize only a few. Um, on top of that, we do know that the bigger our number gets, um, the more likely it is that we'll actually be giving a big financial hit to NYU. And it's in their best interest to bargain with us if it reaches that point, as they will be losing out on money they depend on. Yeah, and another thing I'd like to emphasize is that this campaign is run for students and by students. So any risks that you face, we are also very much so at risk toward. And I think it, it's that piece is very important just because if we thought we were truly at risk of, you know, de-enrollment, we ourselves would not be calling for this strike. You know, we want our degrees too. Um, for some more like specific risks, like, 
we have really coursed through a lot of the language about um, NYU's late tuition policy. And really, the only tangible things are um, you won't be able to request official documents like transcripts or, um, you know, your diploma or your physical diploma. You can still graduate. Um, Or um, you just will have a hold placed on enrollment. But like I said, uh, we already have strategies about how we are going to go about withholding tuition. We don't publicly broadcast that strategy. So if you would like more information, um, we have social media that you can check out at NYUYDSA. Thank you for that. Um, How do you expect the turnout to be? Have you been hearing um, a lot of support for the strike? What has been the reaction so far? Um, Yeah, so like Gabe said, we have been tabling like every day. We started in the middle of Washington Square Park. Now we're right next to Kimmel. And um, so far we have around a thousand signatories, around a thousand students ready to withhold tuition. But on top of that, the amount of times that, you know, I've been out there tabling and some random person will be like, oh, my God, I heard of this. Like my roommate is talking about this or the other day my friend who's an RA came up to me and was like all of my residents are just gassing this tuition strike I think um, people are really buzzing about this tuition strike on top of the amount of signatories that we already have and you know like you said Muna I know that a tuition strike and is is super daunting and to those who have heard about the tuition strike and they're like what is that you know how do I go about this like I said we're out there tabling every day and we'd love to talk to you I'm also proud to say that we do have um, GSOC's full support. They've indicated that we've also personally had one-on-one meetings with different elected officials in New York City area that have also said they'll be supporting us um, when we officially go on strike. And yeah, just the outreach that we've gotten from other YDSA chapters, other schools across the country, as we very much want this to not only be the NYU strike, but a nationwide college students asking for more from their university nationwide. Yeah, we have close coalition partners with a bunch of orgs on campus. We have um, a really great relationship with Sunrise Movement. Shout out to their divestment campaign. Everybody go sign up petition if they haven't. Um, we also are in close relations to SJP and JVP, like Gabe said, also GSOC. Um, so this really isn't just the NYU strike. We have a whole bunch of endorsements, and um, we'd, we'd really love for this to turn into a whole campus-wide thing. Thank you for that. Now, to close this off, how can people get involved if they want to, and when is this tuition strike? Um, Like I said, for those who want to get involved, we have our table. We're out there every day. Right now, we're next to Kimmel. Um, We also have social media at NYUYDSA everywhere, and there's a link to our link tree, which has our sort of new member sign up. We definitely recommend everybody become a member if um, you're interested in striking. And as for striking, um, we're doing a lot of our organizing right now. But the actually with like the actual withholding of tuition would be happening for spring semester. But we have so, so many actions planned before that. Um, we're going to have a day of action. We're going to have a rally. And we also have meetings weekly, six to eight. They're usually at Stuyvesant Square this upcoming week we have one at Stevenson Square 6 to 8 on Friday Um, we're going to be planning our day of action that I mentioned and it's a really great place to get involved and also just meet people and hang out 
Great. Thank you both for joining us tonight to talk about this tuition strike. And now back to Grace Wanabo. Good afternoon. This may or may not be Robin Hitchcock, but one thing's always for sure, whether your day is upside down or the right way up, whether you're falling out of a window or just being pushed, whether someone is sleeping underneath you or someone is actually rolling you downstairs, this is WNYU-FM New Afternoon Show featuring music and various people introducing it. That's going to do it for us here tonight. If you'd like to... If you like what you heard or you wanted something different, you can email us at nyunews.org. I'll be back here next week, same time, same place, and I hope you'll join me. Sorry Not Sorry is coming up next. I'm Grace Wanabo, and this has been The Rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, New York.